The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. You're very welcome back to the uh, Anton Savage Show where Fergus Finlay is just showing off his silver tongue. Um, Fergus Finlay is with us, columnist with the Irish Examiner, as is Alva Smith, uh, campaigner, to look at the stories making news. Uh, by the way, I have to apologise. I don't know how I could have forgotten that the 2022 Super Bowl halftime was Snoop Dogg crip walking all the way across the uh, centre of the field. It was Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige and Kendrick Lamar. And by the way, if you are uh, interested in watching the Super Bowl, it's going to be on Virgin Media 2 on Sunday night from 10.45pm that's if you can't drag yourself into the Odeon for the Super Bowl party with the um, uh, Dublin American football team and tie and the lads so was stories that, was that for our benefit that was for your benefit I, I know you're a huge Kendrick Lamar names. <laughs> come on don't tell me you've never enjoyed a bit of Mary J Blige Snoop, what? Snoop Dogg I'm, briefly Snoop Lion before Mary that J, Snoop Doggy Mary Dog. J Blige was kind of 20 years ago though she was my still cool Fergus still cool okay more so, than I can say for myself <laughs> <laughs> and I know about her I think she's wonderful actually yeah. but anyway <laughs> now that you're squarely back in your I, said, I said earlier before we went on air I said that uh, Alva is the youngest in spirit person I have ever met in my life because she she claimed to be older than me which I can't I can't we don't believe it for a minute Anyway, the reason that you are both here is to look at the stories making the news this week, one of which is the return of Bertie Hearn. I was going to say to politics, but at least to a political party. And he was asked about his reasons for uh, return and whether or not he would be seeking uh, elected office or at least elected doll office, which he was quite quick uh, to say that he wouldn't. And then he was asked whether or not he'd have a look at the Aorus and he was less quick to say whether or not he would on that. I think an ordinary member of the Dunvin Ross Common that was a member for 41 years. Uh, so that's my status. Um, I'm a hard to remember. Have you any intention uh, of seeking elected office again? Um, I, I have no intention of going back into my old job. What about the presidency? Um, listen, I, my main job, as I said before, is to stay alive that long. It doesn't come up for a long, long time. But I'm an ordinary member of the party. Now, Fergus, you have been around politics uh, a long time. You were around politics when Bertie was around politics uh, in his first iteration rather than this current one. Why has he rejoined Fianna Um, I think he's done it in order to add to the gaiety of the nation, Anton. Um, I think he's done it to ensure that radio producers and newspaper editors uh, will have something to cover this weekend because otherwise it was going to be a very, very boring weekend with nothing but Super Bowls and rugby. So he's he's done it to give us plenty of fodder to write about and talk about. And other than this overwhelming generosity and decency of his heart. And other than the altruistic reasons, personally, why do you think he has done it? Um, I, I... I think there is a need for personal vindication um, uh, and I, I think there's a need for rehabilitation. Um, like Bertie's one of the strangest, most complex people I've ever uh, met or worked alongside or opposed because or, I've done all those things. <laughs> um, we were, Alvin and I were talking outside and um, Bertie was the one who apologised to people who had been in, abused in institutions. He was the one who set up um, the, the Ryan Tribunal, um, or Lafoy as it was originally. Um, so he's done good things. I, I was involved uh, at a given point in time in trying to get the uh, Special Olympic World Games to come to Dublin. And it wouldn't have happened without the support of Bertie Hearn. Not alone, but but certainly Bertie Hearn was very, very instrumental. So he's he's done things that I think, you know, people can be proud of. And that's not mentioning uh, the peace process. Um, 
I, I, I always feel a little chagrined, I suppose, uh, when when all this talk of the peace process going on, because Bertie came to the very end of the peace process. And Reynolds um, had done quite some heavy uh, lifting Reynolds, in advance. <laughs> Reynolds, and if I may say so, Spring had done a huge amount of heavy lifting uh, in very, very much more difficult and more different circumstances. And they're sort of written out of the picture. And Bertie has just kind of appropriated the, the tag of peacemaker onto himself. But but that's, that sounds like I'm begrudging. Um, uh, so he's done all that. But he's also done very, very dubious things, which raise serious issues and questions of character uh, and probity and political corruption, to put it no more strongly than that, um, that, that have never been adequately addressed. Um, and I and, and that, you know, so he's like, he's like the ghost of Christmas past, surrounded by his own ghosts in some ways. <laughs> well, this is the bit that Alba, maybe you have a, can can help me get my head around this because what I don't understand from Bertie's perspective is all of the things that Fergus talks about as positives. He he is he can wrap himself in them every day. He can talk about the peace process. He can talk about the good yeah. that he did. He can do the statesman thing. He can do the international peace mm. advisor thing. But he would know that by jo- rejoining Fianna Fáil, he will enliven all of the other stuff that has lain dormant. So why do it? But, it, uh, well, uh, I think in the first place, that there's probably a dimension of Bertie, whom I certainly didn't know personally at any point, uh, uh, which has, you know, which has put all of that aside. It's not that the, those dubious and and... And indeed, frankly, corrupt because that 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 was uh, the judgment at the time. Uh, things he he has it's as if they didn't happen. He he has rewritten his history, and his history is one which is deserving of longer recognition in the form of the presidency. And isn't it time now for the presidency to be held by somebody who, after all, resolved the problems of Ireland? So I can hear. So that you think he wants he wants this as the the, the foundation for a run for a presidential well, I, bit? I, I think yes. I think well, he believes that he there's a sense of entitlement there. I imagine. I imagine. I am speculating entirely, but at the same time, there is that cute thing about him that thinks, God, wouldn't it be great if I got away with this? Wouldn't it be great if I got that presidency? And you could just be, because he's like a little boy inside, really. He's always going after what he can get. And that's what that's what it is. And I think in Fianna Foil, there must be earthquakes of terror and fear going on in there, because this is not commensurate with the contemporary image at all. The likelihood is, well, sorry, the possibility is that the next presidential election could coincide with the next general election. And, you know, it is entirely, it's possible. Um, They're both about two years away. Um, And uh, I can't imagine Fianna Fáil wanting to fight (laughs) a a general election under Micheál Martin and a presidential election under Bertie Ahern at the same time. I just can't imagine. It's like a, a piece of split personality politics that you that you know you just can't see how they're going to work it out but I've no doubt in my mind that no doubt in my mind that Bertie would love it love it other well can I ask on that because one of the things that happens with presidential elections is people who haven't a snowball's chance in hell of becoming president <laughs> decide they are eminently qualified and very likely to win the election the difference between those who have done that before and Bertie is Bertie didn't lick politics off the rocks. So presumably he either thinks 
the great the, the media elites from the leafy Dublin suburbs have it wrong and that there is a, a desire there for Bertie to make a comeback or he's not going to do it which do you think it is? Well he's never ever ever dependent on the leafy suburbs never in his entire political career that's not where he derives his no. strength uh, from he, he derives he's a a man who loves campaigning, uh, he loves being out and about, he loves, you know, pressing the flesh uh, and, and all that. And he gets huge energy from that. And uh, you you could, you need be in no doubt at all that if, if he does run, it'll be a highly energetic campaign. But the other thing that will happen is the Bertie of old will reappear. The, the smoke and daggers, Bertie, mangling the language. Uh, all Upsetting that. apple tarts, right? Upset, <laughs> upsetting apple tarts and so on. Which, if you've been following his latter career, has actually disappeared. He's very concise. Uh, you know, if he's talking about Northern Ireland or international affairs on the radio, you don't recognise the old Bertie at all because that was a game. It was a disguise. Well, mm. And that'll that'll reappear. Uh, sorry, as in the, the apparent mistakes in public and, and the, the slight bumbling, that was the disguise. Is that what you're saying? Sure, I'm only a harmless poor gobdor. You don't ever need to beat me up. Sure, I'm just a bit of an old idiot who can't get anything right. Where's that soft spot in your back and I put a little blade into it for you? I think, I think though, you know... I, Absolutely all of that. But there is there is that part of me, which is nonetheless, even though I can believe very well why he's doing this and all of the reasons, I am still actually quite shocked by it. Yes. Because, you know, he he did not do he, he uh, absolutely the peace process. I mean, I totally give him that, of course. But at the same time, he behaved extremely badly. He behaved in an immoral way. And for him to have been able to reinstate himself in his own eyes so that he could see himself as the kind of person yes. who could be a president speaks very ill of the man. Well, can I very devil's Ill. advocate? Can I just devil's advocate from po- possibly, not saying that this is his, yeah. but might be his perspective. Maybe he looks at it and he says, look, well, there were findings through various different tribunals of venal corruption, whether it be with Burke, whether it be with Lawler, whether it be with Hahi, whether it be with Lowry and the link with O'Brien, yeah. all of those kind of things. What did the tribunal fundamentally find about me? Well, it found that there was, it didn't like my explanations for money that was in my accounts. There was no direct finding of corruption. It was made public. I resigned from the Taoiseach ship relatively soon thereafter. I resigned from my uh, position in the party where I had been for 40 years. I have served my time. Why can I not be allowed? to return to society. Well, but he, he is in society. The thing is, he's not just he, he's not just returning to society. He's saying, oh, no, no, I wouldn't be in the least bit interested in the presidency. Come back to me and ask me in a year's time. So, you know, that's that's the way he's playing it at present. He pops up at a kind of opportune moment. And he knows also because, I mean, goodness me, the man is as sharp as a tack. He knows very well that Fianna Fáil needs to put forward a candidate for the presidency. And he's looking around and he's thinking to himself, I don't see anybody there except moi. And that's why he's going for it. So in that sense, the man is not wrong. Now, I take your point, by the way, about him not having been found guilty of X, Y, Z. But the reason he couldn't have been found guilty was because his affairs were so deliberately labyrinthine and absolutely 
on, um, you know, you couldn't possibly sort them out. That that was why they could never get to the bottom of anything. And, with and them. don't forget, you're not talking about a few bob. You're talking about millions. Uh, uh, absolutely. You're talking, well, you're talking about uh, hundreds of, of thousands a at the time in, yeah. in relation to what the tribunal found. Enormous sums of money in terms of in terms of you know. The, the life expectancy and life expectations of ordinary people, yeah. enormous sums of money yeah. um, and none of it ever properly accounted for. And to this day, to this day, no reasonable explanation from the man himself. Can I can I raise one thing with both of you just before we move on? Because I want to talk to you about um, uh, immigration and, and the um, concerns that the, the issues that are becoming more and more fraught in respect to that. But before that, one of the things that I, I find intriguing is the sort of the period of political change that we have been through. Because if you look at our most recent political financial scandal, it is... Um, Sinn Féin receiving uh, monies that in theory went to Mary Lou where it should have gone to the uh, party directly and by Ono Brin's uh, account making mistakes in relation to uh, accounting for fundraising. It is Fine Gael with pa- uh, Pascal uh, Donoghue being in receipt of <coughs> hundreds of euros worth of monies that should have been accounted for in a different way and that put him across the thresholds. When you then look back at the tribunals <laughs> and you look at Burke, Hawhey, Lawler yeah. Millions, millions. Millions. And direct links to corrupt activity, to direct evidence of actions taken for bribes, to people yes. building conservatories for uh, political gain in people's houses. I mean, extraordinary and, uh, you stuff. Go, you don't even have to go back in history. Um, when Pascal O'Donoghue was defending himself in the Doyle over a fortnight of sustained pressure, about, was it 900 or 2,000 euro? The British Chancellor, Chairman of the Conservative Party and former Chancellor of the Exchequer at that precise moment was saying, settlement of the revenue, five million quid, what? <laughs> Nothing to do with me, go get, get on with your, the rest of your lives. I mean, it's quite extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. Can I tell you a very quick story about Bertie's style? Um, because Bertie never gives anything away, OK? I, for, for reasons that aren't worth going into, I was hosting a lunch at which he was to be the guest of honour. Um, and it was important that he be well received and so on and so on. And just before he arrived, somebody pointed to an, an article I had written in the Examiner that morning, which was quite scarifying about Bertie. And I had completely forgotten writing it. And I thought, oh, mother of God, <laughs> will he come? Will he, what's he going to do? Am I, have I destroyed everything? And he came and he was absolutely charming made no reference whatsoever to the piece. He table hopped at the end of the thing. He did everything. And as he was leaving, he came over to me and he clapped me on the back and said, you've been very busy, fair play. Clapped me on the back, said, you've been very busy. Now, everyone in the room saw it as clapped me on the back. It hurt. It hurt. (laughs) It stung. And nobody saw that, but I felt it. And I knew in that second, yes, he'd read the article. I knew he'd read the article. Yeah. By the way, speaking of articles in the Examiner, you're writing uh, this weekend about Neve Brennock and the passing of Neve Brennock. Yeah. Is that yeah. something you want to mention? Well, I, just that she was one of the greats. I, uh, Alva and I both you know, knew her very well and, and she was a friend and a pal. Uh, and, and one of the, you know, I think she will go down in history as one of the most consequential ministers for education we've ever had. When you look at the the things she did and the le- legacy she left. Uh, she'd only one term. She had no political experience or no ministerial experience prior to that term. And she left behind well, yes. stuff that has I changed think, lives ever since. I, I think that, you know, she she moved through that Department of Education like an absolute whirlwind. And she had them all terrified in there because she did not take no for an answer. And she made very, very, very significant changes. She really took on that whole dinosauric aspect of education in Ireland. She really did. You couldn't have 
couldn't put a better outfit. No, but she, she absolutely was a tremendously reforming minister in in education. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt in the about most, it. In the most conservative the department of state. That, that actually she only, she only stood for one term. It was several years, but it was only one term. And she was also... I, I didn't know her in a personal capacity incredibly well, but I mean, she was she was a, a very, very competent person, but also very, very kind. Uh, interesting, very kind. interesting text coming in in relation to Bertie, just to give you a sense of the kind of feedback that we're getting. Anton, why are the media so hyper about Bertie's comeback? Does anyone in Ireland deserve a second chance? In a word, no, it's begrudgery Ireland. Another, I'm sorry, but younger voters don't care about Bertie's past and may even give him a chance if he goes for the president. Well, look at, didn't Martin oh. McGuinness do quite well? And there was that whole terrorism I, I, thing I, that we I, all I just got past. I probably no, should lie declare. down for a while. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, I should second probably chance. declare an interest in every published opinion poll. Before Michael Deed's election and since Michael Deed's election, I have been first or second favourite for that job. You look at Paddy Power's website and you'll think, <laughs> and there I am. First going, are you, are are you putting your hat in the ring? <laughs> I haven't decided yet. It's a long way away. Come back to me in a year's time. <laughs> yes, because you're young enough. I'm young off. enough, God knows. The show is available when you decide to make the announcement, Fergus. Now, the immigration issue is uh, one which in the Today's Irish Times features um, a contribution from a woman called Alva Smith, who happens to be here in front of me, uh, where she says, I would like to see a policy which is humane, generous, open and understanding. And this is in response to the Taoiseach in Brussels saying that Ireland should be fair, firm and hard on immigration. You took particular exception with the word hard, Alva. Well, I I mean, I I felt that certainly what he said uh, in Brussels indicates a kind of a, a hardening of attitude towards people who come to live here, to, to seek a life, to seek a bit of decency and safety for themselves and their families and a job and so on, which I don't like. I do not like that hardening um, approach. And I felt that somehow that got summed up yesterday in those words, which I have to say was not part of a statement I made. That was in response to a question I was asked. But I, I regret that very much for a couple of reasons. First of all, I don't think it's the kind Sorry, of... Sorry, you, you, you regret the mood that is occurring or you regret your mood, own statement, right? The mood. I, I regret that mood. No, I don't regret my own response to it in the least, Anton. Why would I? I think that it, it, it is not helpful, as Orla O'Connor said. I think it is very unfortunate indeed that that remark was made in that way, in that place at this time when there are sensitivities, when there are issues that we have well, to be Can I just, again, step as advocate, Alva, can I, because there's, sorry, but hang on, for, let me just ask okay. you on one thing within it, because the, the, where you talk about the, the um, sensitivities, there's something of a Gordian knot of sensitivity. So if, if we strip some of it back to its core, if the issue is legal versus illegal seeking of asylum. So people who are arriving with legitimate calls to seek asylum and the system Mm -hmm. is there to deliver for them versus those who are essentially economic migrants who are using the asylum system for economic migration reasons. Should there not be a clear delineation and fairly firm line in the separation of those? Well, well, you know... I think the point was made very clearly at our press conference yesterday, actually by Orla O'Connor from the National Women's Council, that look, and that's taken up in the Irish Times today, one of the difficulties is that the policy is so is so incompetent, or, or the, the, the putting into practice of the policy is so incredibly incompetent. Uh, in, in the papers yesterday evening, I think it may be in the papers today, there is a case 
of a person who was in international protection, who was living in direct provision and is, I believe, still living in direct provision for 14 years because it has taken 14 years for this case to come to the surface and to be heard. Now, <clears throat> that is an outlier case, undoubtedly, but average times of five, six, seven, eight, nine years are not at all unusual in our system. So we have a system which is creaking. Look at the the whole direct provision accommodation situation where there was a commitment made to move people out of direct provision into own door housing by 2024, I believe. That is absolutely not happening now. Um, So what is going to happen to people living in direct provision? Several thousand of whom, up to 4,000, could actually be not living in direct provision, who could be out there in the community, having jobs, you know, playing with their kids outside, enjoying a bit of life. They, You know, why do we forget that people who migrate do so for a reason they don't do for they don't do it for a laugh. As somebody said, we didn't go to Australia for here from Ireland for the crack. But we do have a policy which is that we separate between those who are doing it because they fear subjugation or repression in their own country versus those who are doing it for economic reasons. There may be totally legitimate cause for them to do it for economic reasons, but our policy is, well, tough luck. We don't but let you in we on that basis. System, in that case, if, if we accept that system, <clears throat> I have some argument with it, but if we accept we have that system, then we must actually, I think that we certainly should ensure that there is a protocol there and there is a practice which reflects a policy which is about doing that in a way that actually works. And that is genuinely fair insofar as there is fairness. Remember, can I just say, Anton, that what absolutely astonishes me and makes me see red in a way is people giving out constantly criticising, getting angry about people who come here to make a bit of money, to get a job, to have a decent life, all of those things that everybody wants. What have we been doing? We are Yes, when we populated Liverpool, Manchester, Boston, New York. We are a nation of economic migrants. Tech saying if if Faradkar's statement is going to be followed through, then it will be a start in combating illegal immigration. We have been a soft touch. The cosseted NGO classes need to see which way the wind is blowing. Legal immigrants and refugees, yes, but scammers, no. Now, Fergus, to what extent is that a legitimate view and to what extent is that the result of what the far right has been fomenting over the past while? No, it's a view. It's a view. I would. I don't agree with it. It's a view. And I under, I kind of understand it. But it's. it stops short. Um, go and visit your nearest nursing home, uh, which has a lot of Irish people living with dementia in it. Every nursing home in Ireland is full of people with dementia. Every single nursing home in Ireland would virtually have to close down and put those residents out on the street if it wasn't for foreign staff, if they weren't able to bring in people from Eastern Europe, from the Philippines, from qualified, decent, warm. I mean, I, I visit, I know, I see the kindness and I, so, uh, that, that they bring with them. We never think of them when we're talking about the scammers and the chancellors and the soft touch and so on. Yeah. We couldn't run an awful lot of our social services, our health services, uh, without the ability. We have an enormous housing crisis in Ireland. We don't have the wherewithal to build. But if you're a plumber 
in, let's say, Latvia. No, let's say a non-EU, a non-EU country. And you write to Ireland and say, I'm a plumber, I have skills, can I come, please? You'll get a flat no. You, there is no basis for applying to come to Ireland to work. You're not allowed to do that. There's no, there's absolutely no system of legal migration available for you if you're... If your need is economic, none. I, so I, you I have to make it up. I, you I have to Ferguson's pretend. I think point is, is a very, very <coughs> important one. It, is, it has been made, I think, very sensibly about the fact that we are going to actually need a workforce which is capable of catering to our changing needs here in this, let us remind ourselves, very wealthy and very privileged country. But the other point is that somehow when, when, I, when I read about protests and so on, I think that somehow it gives the impression that we have a country, because that is the impression the far right want to create, that has been somehow taken over and swarmed by people from from elsewhere. And this is absolutely not the case. What's the 13.8% of the population in this country at present was not born in Ireland. That's it's interesting though to see even it. as you're speaking that the kind of texts that are coming in should we just take everyone in and give them money then? The cases that Alva was referring to they're in the judicial system so long because they've been refused and they keep appealing and reduce. Re- well it is our international responsibility under human rights treaties that we have signed to everybody who lands is entitled whether they have papers or not papers no matter what you think happened to their papers, no matter where you think they came from, no matter if you think they're right or wrong, they are entitled to arrive here and to to request international protection. They should not have ministers standing at the bottom of of, of aircraft steps, basically, and saying... Guards! <laughs> we haven't yet got to the well, point of sending no. cabinet ministers, but you never know. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> things to them. We do have... But the other point is... Very briefly, The other point is we have benefited hugely from this, in not just in economic terms, but hugely in economic terms, but in cultural terms, in personality terms. And we'll be marching. Okay. We're out marching next okay. Saturday, 18th Solidarity... From um, from the Garden of Remembrance at one thirty. Please come and join us. Solidarity, <laughs> unity, community. Between you running it. for the presidency and she running protests from the station, <laughs> five three one zero six. If you want to get in touch with the station at a cost of thirty cent, big thank you to Fergus Finlay, columnist with the Examiner, and Alva Smith, uh, campaigner. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.